Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. How are we doing this morning, friends? Awesome. Man, I'm so excited to be with you today. Excited for all the awesome stuff happening around our church from United Night tonight with the youth. Let's give it up. It's going to be awesome. You need to be there. Tons of awesome serve projects as we head into the end of the year. And I love being a part of a generous church. Love being a part of a generous church. I love being a part of a church that says, hey, we believe generosity should be normal for the people of God. We believe generosity should be normal for the people of God. And I was thinking about this idea of generosity, and I said, you know, at the end of the day, generosity doesn't require money. It requires trust. Why don't you think about that for a second? It doesn't require money. It requires trust. God is not concerned with amounts, but with the heart, with our heart and where our heart is at. And there is nothing that indicates where our heart is at quite like money. Just what Jesus said. I'm not, I'm just the messenger, okay? God doesn't need our resources, but he wants your heart. And he knows that one of the ways to your heart is if you trust him with your money by generously giving to the work of his kingdom in and through this church. That's one of the ways you can trust God with your finances. And I thought about this and said, you know, you will never truly know God as your provider. You'll never know him as your provider unless you begin to walk in the tithe and offering. You'll never even give him a chance to be your provider in that way, to show you. And there, God longs to show up for us in provision in ways that we have never dreamed of before. And we will never experience until we take that step of generosity. I was thinking about this Matthew 6, 26. It's a verse we've all heard. We've, we've read it before probably. It says this. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Friends, I want to encourage you to get to know God as provider for you. And as we head into the end of the year, this is one of the biggest moments of the year for us as a church. God has been gracious to us this year, but we are praying and believing for many people to jump jump on board, to step in, to step up in their generosity so we can go further beyond and further above wherever we have been as a church because we do believe our best days are ahead. And so there'll be some directions on the screen as you think and pray about not just jumping in maybe to give weekly and automatically, which is the greatest help to us, but also as you think about your year-end tithes and offerings. Amen? Hard stop on that one. I'll pray for us real quick and then we'll dive into God's word. Lord, thank you so much for your provision. Thank you for the ways that you have provided for our church over the past year and a half above and beyond anything that we could imagine. Thank you, Lord, for your continued provision. I pray for people today, maybe, who have never given to the ministry of this church before, Lord, that they would be moved in their heart to to step in maybe for the first time. Or maybe those who've given consistently for years would say, maybe it's time for me to step up. 
So Lord, thank you that you're our provider. I pray that we would all come to know you in that way. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. All right. Today, we are finishing up our series on the book of 1 Corinthians. Anybody had fun with this so far? It's been fun. It's been a fun one for me. And I want to start. I don't do this often. Uh, I want to open with a joke today, okay? Let's see what you all think. Let's see how this goes. I may never do this again, so just lean in. A man and his wife and his mother-in-law went on a vacation to the Holy Land. While they were there, the mother-in-law tragically passed away. The authorities met the man and his wife at the hospital in the midst of this tragic situation, and they said, you have two options. One option is this, you can have your mother-in-law shipped home for $6,000, or option two, you can bury her here in the Holy Land for $150. The man thought about it and told them that he would rather have her shipped home. They asked the man, why would you spend $6,000 to have your mother-in-law shipped home when it would be wonderful to have her buried here in the Holy Land and only spend $150? The man replied, well, I heard that a man died here 2,000 years ago. He was buried here, and three days later, he rose from the dead. I just can't take that chance. I thought that was awesome. So today, we're continuing to look at 1 Corinthians 15, which is the capstone of this amazing letter. It's the, it's the climax to everything Paul has been saying, and it's all about the end times. It's all about the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. And just like the joke said, Jesus didn't stay dead, and therefore we know We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're not gonna stay dead either. There is a day coming, declares the Lord, where death will be defeated. For all time, forever, death will be defeated. And that means those who are dead now, those who have died, will come back to a new resurrected, glorified body, a new heavens and a new earth. We've been saying this throughout the whole series, but Paul says this. He says, look, Heaven is not just some disembodied spiritual place that you go to at the end of all things. Heaven is not just this thing that happens at the end of the world where we all spiritually float off to be with God. Heaven is coming back to earth and God's gonna make a new heavens and a new earth and we're gonna dwell as one here in a recreated planet with new bodies that will live forever and never die. That's the hope of the Christian. That's the the point of the story. And maybe if you're new to Christianity, this kind of sounds crazy or you've never thought about these things before, but we're trying to bring clarity to this because Paul gives 58 straight verses to it at the end of this letter to the church in Corinth. And friends, the question that we're looking at last week and again this week is this, is this the end? Are we living in the end times? Is this it? Are we in it right now? And this question, friends, it's not new. We saw this last week, Matthew 24, verse 3. It says this, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of the coming of the end of the age? Jesus, when's it going to go down? 
We've heard you talking a lot about the end of all things and the end of the age and what's gonna happen. Is it gonna happen now or later? Can you give us some insight? They wanna know, and wouldn't you? All humans are fascinated with this concept of, okay, if the Bible talks about the end of the world and how it's going to go down, I would wanna know if I'm living in the generation of the Lord's return. I would wanna know if I'm at the end of the end. We all would, it just makes sense. It's human for us to be fascinated by this topic. Last week, I, I listed off a few things uh, that have got, I think, many of us thinking about this. Is this the end? Well, we've learned of social media algorithms that are controlling our minds and toying with our emotions. I mentioned that Elon Musk is talking about uploading our brains to the internet and colonizing Mars. There's discussion of human cloning. I remember when uh, debit cards and digital banking was scary and people thought this was the beginning of one world currency and everyone was freaking out about biometric finger scanners at the banks and the hospitals and now we all use face ID to log into all of our devices and we don't even think twice about it. Bitcoin is on the rise, there's famines, pestilences, plagues, diseases, global government lockdowns. I mean, you look around at all the stuff that's happening and the question arises, it's actually the question I've been asked more over the past year and a half than any other question. Is this the end? And I, I wanna be clear, I said this last week, I'll say it again, the Bible is so clear on this. On, without a doubt, yes, we are living in the end times. However, it's not because of any of those things that I just read. It's not because of any of those things that I just listed off. The reason that we know that we're living in the end times is because I wanna read to you what the Bible says about the end times. Here's how we know. Hebrews 1, verse one and two, long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days was written 2,000 years ago. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also, he created the world. So the writer of Hebrews is referring to this time as the last days. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Paul, just a few chapters prior, says this. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. We're here, says Paul. First Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. It's right here. It's in front of our faces, right? Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Friends, here's what the Bible teaches us. The countdown for Christ's return began when he rose from the dead. That was the beginning of the end times, 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose from the dead. That was the ultimate sign that this is the end of the age that we're living in right now, when he rose from the dead. The first Easter morning was the beginning of a new world. It was the beginning of a whole new creation and the beginning of the end of the world as we know it. I shared this chart last week, but I want us to see it again. If you think of the entire history of the world and the Bible as it's laid out, it begins with creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It moves on to the fall, where mankind turned our back on God and sin and death entered the scene. Uh, death entered the story as an unwelcome guest. 
in God's narrative. And then a lot of things happen between the fall and the first coming of Jesus on that first Christmas morning. And then Jesus rose from the dead, proving death will be defeated for all. And this was the beginning of a new creation. It was the beginning of the end times, according to the biblical writers. Um, death was spiritually defeated in the resurrection of Christ. So if you put your faith in Jesus, you're spiritually alive. But as we know, our bodies are still dying. Death is not all the way defeated. And so now we're living in the overlap of the ages between the first and the second coming of Jesus. And so here's the X marks the spot. You are here, the end times, right in between his first coming and his second coming. And at his second coming, what Paul teaches us in chapter 15 is that Jesus will, will raise everybody from the dead and death is fully defeated, not just spiritually, but physically, all the way defeated. Heaven comes to earth and death is physically and finally defeated forever. And that's what we're gonna look at today. You see, and I wanna say this clearly, the reason Paul puts this chapter at the very end of the letter, the reason, you know, you may think, what's the point of this conversation? How is this relevant at all for my life? Well, Paul seems to think this is so relevant for all of our lives that he threads it through his argument all the way through the entire letter of 1 Corinthians, and the climax of the letter is chapter 15 where he says, look, the, the Christian is called to live with their eyes and their heart fixed on the ultimate hope that no matter what happens in this life, no matter what you're going through in your job, in your marriage, with your kids, with your own health, whatever you're facing today, it's not the, it's not the end of the story. There's a day coming when God's gonna fix all the wrongs and make all the wrongs right. Therefore, bring the kingdom wherever you are now into whatever situation you're in as a pointer to the age to come, the day coming when Jesus restores all things and makes all things new. Paul goes, this has relevance for every little detail of your life, from your time to your finances to your energy to your health to your relationships. All of it should be shaped and understood in the context of the end of the story. It's very important. Very important. But here's where I think we've gone wrong in the church when it comes to this whole discussion of end times. And I, I love how one of my favorite theologians, Dr. John Frame, he wrote an amazing systematic theology where he puts together the story of the Bible, and when he, he speaks on end times, he says this, and I, I know this is small, I'll read it out loud for us, but he says this, in regards to the second coming of Christ, theologians have often focused on the timing of specific events in relation to Jesus' return. When's it gonna happen? What comes first? What comes second? What comes third? How long is the millennium? Do Christians get raptured before or after? And where's the tribulation? And who's the Antichrist? And what's the kingdom of the beast? And what's the mark of the beast? And all these details are distracting. And he goes, that's unfortunate. He said, in my judgment, this is somewhat unfortunate. When the Bible speaks about the return of Christ, it is more interested in the impact of that hope upon our lives today than in the scheduling of future events. That's a big deal. 
It's more concerned with the impact of that hope to help you through your suffering, to help you through your Monday, to help you through whatever you're facing right now, knowing that, hey, all of this is gonna get worked out in the end. I'm called to be faithful here and now. Faithful here and now. Friends, if we believe what the biblical writers said, that we truly are living in the end times now, that the beginning of the end times began when Jesus rose from the dead, and they're gonna end when he comes back, and this whole 2,000-year period we've been in right now is all considered the end times, then there's a few things we have to realize, a few things we have to see. This changes a lot for many of us because I think most of us were taught at some point that the events of the end time were some future thing that was gonna come, some future occurrence, some future tribulation or difficulty or the rising up of this figure called the Antichrist and his kingdom called the beast kingdom and the market, and all these things are future events. But what we see here is this. If we are living in the end times, and I wanna push against this, this thought that all of these things are future things. Therefore, Christ can't come until we see this happen or that happen or this happen or that happen because what we see is this, especially in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 23, and then we're gonna get into some of these other parts as well. It says this, for as in Adam, and I wanna make a few notes on this. As in Adam, it says this, all die. All of us are born into this reality of death. None of us are escaping it. So also in Christ, all shall be made alive. So he's setting up a contrast between death and life, but each in his own order. Now he's talking about the resurrection of the dead, each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, all right, this is an important word right here. We're gonna look at first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end. So Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. Uh, some dear friends of ours brought over a massive bag of lemons the other day. Not like a few lemons, I'm talking like 50 lemons. We said thank you, but I, I don't know how we're gonna use 50 lemons. And, and they replied, well, we have a lemon tree in our backyard. You know, and I don't know, a few weeks, few months back, there was one lemon on that tree, but now there's so many, we don't even know what to do. We have lemons coming out our ears, so you and everybody else in our life is getting lemons, a lot of them. And here's the point. Jesus is called the first fruits. He's the first one on the vine. He's the first one to rise from the dead, but we know there are more lemons coming. All of us are going to rise from the dead at his return, right? So you're all a bunch of lemons, praise God. Let's go home. It says this, first, those who belong to Christ, and then the end will come. So Jesus is raised from the dead, and then when he returns, everyone who belongs to Christ, then comes the end. And what I want us to see here is there are many Christians who said, hey, there's a gap between this and this. The return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead and the end, when Jesus turns over all things to his Father, when he turns the kingdom over to his Father, it says it like this. Um, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, the first lemon. Then it is coming those who belong to Jesus. All the rest of the lemons are gonna become lemons. Um, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. 
right? And after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. And then if you go down here at the end, all the way down to verse 50, he says this, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. All of us will be changed from this mortal body into an immortal body, the resurrection of the dead. Now, Paul is talking about all of this as one event, This entire thing, the return of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, the delivering of the kingdom to the Father, and then the new heavens coming to the new earth. All of this is one event. There's no gap, there's no time period, there's nothing but return of Christ, Christ defeats his enemies, turns over the kingdom to the Father, and then the next age is upon us. We live right now in the overlap of the ages, but what Paul is saying here is there is no gap. And some of the Christians, and look, these are difficult things. I I don't want to say this with arrogance. I know probably for some of you, you're like, "What, what are you talking about? I've never thought about this for more than three seconds in my entire life. That's okay. That's totally fine. The good thing is this, and we'll get to the end. You just, at the main thing is this. You gotta love Jesus. You gotta believe what he did for you on the cross. But he is coming back, okay? He's returning, and we have to live in light of that, okay? Now, If we are, in fact, living in the end times, which I believe the Bible teaches clearly that we are, okay, then there's a few things we have to be aware of, okay? And I'll start with an illustration. A few years into my marriage, I'll never forget this moment, my wife uh, came to me, and she goes, I'm leaving you. And I was very serious, and I froze. What, what? She's like, not forever, just for two days. I'm leaving you with our kids for two days, At that time, I think Sawyer, he was like one or two, and Lily Hope was three or four, and I was in full-time seminary grad school and student pastoring, and we were helping run a mission organization in Haiti, and our life was insane, and little kids are crazy, and you know that look in your spouse's eye when they're like, I've hit the wall, I'm out. And I was like, okay, what's, what's the plan? And she's like, I'm going with some girlfriends to Cincinnati. We lived in Kentucky and Lexington at the time. She said, we're going out to nice dinners, We're gonna get a clean hotel room with no children anywhere around, and we're gonna go to a Broadway show. I was like, absolutely, sweetheart, I got got this. And she's like, I've already been to the store. All the meals are laid out, all the schedule is laid out. Keep them alive for two days. I'll see you Saturday at 4 p.m. Saturday at 4 p.m. I was like, okay, Saturday at 4 p.m. She goes, the one thing I ask is that I come home to a clean house. Amen, all the moms in the room. She's like, if I don't come home to a clean house, it's like the trip isn't even worth it. I was like, I got you. Saturday, four o'clock, house will be clean. Within two hours of my wife leaving, the house was destroyed. And I had completely forgotten about all the food that she had left for us or prepared for us. I went to McDonald's three times a day, two days straight, and got Happy Meals. McDonald's exists for fathers who are in over their head. At any given moment, and I mean, there was, you know, there's uh, just piles of Happy Meal boxes and toys, and my kids' stomachs are hurting, because every time I got them a Sunday, of course, right? Pancakes and Sundays and ice cream and chicken nuggets and everything, and so we get to, and I'm thinking in my head, okay, I just got to make it to Saturday at noon, and then I'll start cleaning. 
I'm gonna get, if, it'll get, take about four hours. I can get it done if I start at noon on Saturday. It'll be clean before she gets home. Here's the problem. The weather on Saturday morning in Cincinnati was bad, so they decided not to spend the day in the city, but to leave early. And I remember hearing her car pull in the driveway and the garage door start to go up and it was right around noon. I was just like gearing, I was like putting a Disney movie on and praying that my children don't die while I'm cleaning up the house. And I hear the garage door opening and I run to the window and I look and I see her car pulling in. I say, no, you can't come back yet. I'm not ready. The house isn't ready. Oh my gosh. You know, I ran out into the garage. I was like, just do like four more laps around the block, okay? Just give me a little more time. I wasn't expecting you until four. And never in my life had the words of Jesus just become so clear to me and so real and just so, um, you know, vibrant and alive. You see, the master of that servant will come when he does not expect him, and an hour when he does not know. Matthew 24, 50, my master had come home, <laughs> and I wasn't ready. But here, here's the point. Here's the point of the entire deal. You see, that's not the only verse where Jesus refers to this, or others in the New Testament refer to this. They don't say it just one time. It says this in Matthew 24, verse 42. It says, therefore, stay awake. Stay awake, for you don't know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. It says this, Matthew 25, 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Mark 13, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, stay awake, for you don't know when the time will come. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. I've been robbed a few times. My house has been broken into a few times. If I would have known when the thief was coming, I would have been there and I would have been ready. The Lord is saying we're not gonna know. He goes on. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you don't know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. Then what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. What's the point of every verse I just read? Not just one, multiple verses from Paul to Jesus saying the same thing. We are called to live in such a way that he could return at any moment and the hope of his return should actually impact every aspect of our lives. We're called to live with urgency. Urgency that, hey, we're not waiting on some future thing to happen. We can't read all the signs in the Bible like some crystal ball. We don't understand the full picture of the times that we're living in. What we do know is that we're in the end times, and he is saying, be ready. It could happen at any moment. And friends, we live in a culture. Let me just say this. Did you notice how many times the writer said, stay awake, stay awake, don't fall asleep? I don't know about you, but I, I never remember falling asleep. It just happens. One moment I'm awake, the next I'm asleep. I don't remember when it happens, then I always remember waking up. 
I remember the moment when I wake up, but I can't tell you the exact moment when I fall asleep. We live in a culture that lulls us to sleep, friends. The cares of this life, the worries of this day, the struggles, the pain, the next season of Yellowstone, come on somebody. We get distracted by politics, by the next promotion, by the next relationship, by kids, sports, social media. We scroll, we swipe, we scroll, we swipe, and suddenly we're asleep. We're not even thinking about our life in terms of the end. We're not even thinking about the end of the story anymore. We're just sleeping our way spiritually through life. And here's what N.T. Wright says, and it's so powerful. He says, when we hear of earthquakes and famines and wars, it makes us wonder if the coming of Christ might be near. Then these events fade into the background and world leaders pass off the scene. And the tide of events leading to the end of the age seems to have receded for a time. Then once again, a new wave of events will break on the world scene. And once again, our expectation for Christ's return is increased with each successive wave. And don't miss this, of events, we do not know which one will be the last. And this is good because God does not intend us to know. He simply wants us to continue to long for Christ's return and to expect that it could occur at any time. Yeah, but pastor, what about the Antichrist? He hasn't come yet. Doesn't the Bible teach us about a man of lawlessness that must come before Jesus comes back, a man who rises up and causes great persecution for the church and tries to turn many away from Christ and forces everyone to get the mark of the beast so they can't buy or sell anything? Surely Jesus can't return until all these things have happened. Well, I want us to see another verse. 1 John 2.18, children, it is the last hour right now. And you, as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. And then he says, in response to this, right, you've, you've heard it as some future thing, but he says, so now many Antichrists have come. They've come already. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Don't be waiting for some guy to rise up. And, I, and friends, I tell you, you just do a quick perusal through world history, 64 AD, all the Christians believed Nero was the Antichrist. Literally, Nero set Rome on fire. Read the history books. He set the city on fire. He blamed it on the Christians because he didn't like him. And mass tribulation and persecution rose out of that. Some of the worst for the early church. The church had to go underground. They couldn't even be seen in public. They all believed that Nero was the Antichrist and Rome was the institution of the beast. Think about Adolf Hitler. How many people looked back through history and said, surely this is the guy. The whole world is at war. He's killing the Jews and Christians by the millions. This is it. The swastika is the mark of the beast for sure. Think about Joseph Stalin, Chairman Mao. In a atheistic Marxist regime that denied the existence of God, that denied the reality of Christ and killed 20 million people and like 80 million people. 100 million people died under these guys. You go down the lines of history, Martin Luther believed that Pope Leo X was the Antichrist. Sorry to all the Catholics in the room. 
The Catholic Church was so corrupt, it was leading people away from the true gospel. Nobody could read the Bible for themselves, and they were literally telling people to buy indulgences so they could buy their way into heaven and fund the church. Martin Luther's like, "Uh uh-uh, he's the Antichrist. The uh, Catholic Church is the beast. Friends, here's the problem. We tend to read the Bible through our own experience. Just because you haven't experienced the tribulation doesn't mean it hasn't been happening for thousands of years. We're waiting on some future thing to happen. We live comfortably and asleep because we think Christ can't return yet. And yet, the clear testimony of scriptures that were in the end times, many antichrists have come, many kingdoms have risen up, deceived by the deceiver to oppose God in the world. All of these things have been happening for 2,000 years. And friends, the mark of the beast, I want to read this to you. Sam, Dr. Sam Storms, he's an end times theologian, and he says something so important about this. I do not believe that the so-called mark of the beast is a literal physical mark on bodies of unbelievers, either on their forehead or their right hand, nor is it a microchip, vaccine, or some form of new technology. All through Revelation, we see Satan making every effort to copy whatever God does. My point is simply that the so-called mark of the beast is a depraved parody, a counterfeit imitation of the seal that believers receive by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. It seems certain that the mark of the beast is likewise a symbolic way of describing the loyalty of his followers and his ownership of them. I just want to say this clearly to all of you. You will never accidentally get the mark of the beast without knowing it. Just dispel that from your mind. Do you remember the moment that you put your faith in Christ? That didn't accidentally happen. You thought with your mind and believed with your heart and you put your faith in Jesus consciously. It was an act of worship and trust. In the same way, the mark of the beast is not literally a, the number 666 on your hand or your forehead or whatever else the front page of the Washington Post might say it is. It is an allegiance in your heart. It's a rejection of Jesus and a worshiping of a man who rejects Jesus. So if that's not going on in your heart right now, you don't have the mark of the beast. You're good. But I do want us to understand that so often we we take these things out of context. We live in fear. And the main point of it all is this. The devil would love to distract us right here and now right here and now. He would love to distract us by looking for a future person or governmental dynasty that represents the beast and the antichrist. He would love to get us so focused on questions like, when is it gonna be? What's the timing of the end? How's it all gonna go down? That we lose focus on the main thing, the fact that we're already living in the end times, that we're called to live with urgency and love for Christ, to lay down our lives for others, to reach as many as we possibly can, to bring restoration and redemption to our workplaces and our families and everywhere we are as we eagerly wait for the day when Christ comes back and makes all things new. We're called to live for the here and now with our eyes on the end. And friend, if, if we don't keep our eyes on the end and the end of the story being that Christ will return and make all things new and that all of you are gonna live forever. I, I know we're into life plans. We're all about having a life plan, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, a life plan. Do you have a 10 billion year plan? 
Your life plan needs to go far beyond this little blip of time called your life. You're gonna live forever, either with, with Christ or apart from Christ. And the reality of apart from Christ for eternity is not great. That's an understatement. The reality of with Christ for eternity after the resurrection in your eternal body is beyond anything you can ask or imagine. I'll close with this. I, I remember um, when I was in college, my first semester of college, I, maybe some of you have this story, I nearly failed out. I lost my, I had an academic scholarship, lost it in one semester, that's hard to do, but I was committed. Um, and here's what happened. I said yes to every party, every invitation, everything, I mean, I was like, out of the house, living on my own with my friends, living in this place where anything I wanted to do felt within grasp and possible, all these different things. My bank account was full of student loans, bad idea, high school students, don't do that. And I was like, man, I got money to spend, I got invitations everywhere. I said yes to every invitation. Like Paul said, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. I had no thought of tomorrow. And as a result, when my more mature freshman college friends were in the library studying or saying, hey, I'm actually not gonna like go out until Friday night and Saturday, I'll, I'll watch the game, enjoy the game, but I got a test coming on Monday, so I'm gonna study on Wednesday and Thursday night. I'm like, man, Wednesday, I got invited to play flag football and pick up basketball, and Thursday, there's a party over here, and da-da-da. I said yes to all the fun things because I had no thought for the future. And what Paul is saying to us is, look, if you don't have any grid for where this is headed, you're going to live in a way that is massively irresponsible today. The house won't be clean when the master comes back. And the biggest question at the end of all this, all the, I know we've covered a lot, we've hit a lot of big things. Some of you, this is probably a paradigm shifting um, thought for you that, man, at any moment, this could be it. But here's the main thing, and here's how, Paul, here's how Paul ends this entire passage of Scripture. It's absolutely phenomenal. He says this, after all this talk about the final trumpet, death, where is your sting? Death, you've been swallowed up in victory. Christ has returned. The new heavens and new earth is here. At the very end of all of it, he says this, the most important things. It says, verse 56 and 57 of the chapter, he said, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. What does that mean, Paul? Well, the law is good. It's God's good law. It's the rights and wrongs of the world that we live in. It's don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't do all these things. It's all the don'ts, right? And it's some do's. But the point is this. Paul says the power of sin is the law because none of you can live up to it. We're all a mess. We're broken. We're desperately in need of grace. The power, sin gets its power from this long list of rules that we can't live up to. And Paul shifts the narrative and he says, thanks be to God who, through, who gives us a victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. The victory over all this is the question of, of, are you in Christ? If I ask you today, how do you know if you're going to heaven? 
How do you know if, if when you stand before the Lord on that day, he's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant. If your first response is anything like, well, I think I've been a good enough person. I think I've done enough good things. I'm a pretty good person. I've done, I, I served at Love the 50 Week. I volunteered at church. I, I stayed married for my whole life to the same person, which was a miracle. I, I did a lot of good stuff with my life. If your response to God on that day has anything to do with what you did, you don't yet know the gospel. Do you see this verse? This is powerful, friends. This is the, the end of the story. Thanks be to God who gives. You didn't get it. You didn't earn it. You didn't, you didn't do anything. He just gave it to you. The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ is a free gift of grace. That's the story of the gospel. And so some of you have been working real hard to make God love you and earn his favor. And he's like, let me just give this to you. And all that stuff's great, but, but it starts with the gift. At the end of all things, how this whole thing is gonna go down, first and foremost, have you received the gift? And look, if you have, he says, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So yes, there are things that, we do, there is labor, there is our life working towards restoration, choosing to live a life of love and expectancy for the return of Christ here and now. We're, we're not living absent-minded or absent from the world because we know this is coming. It's making us more urgent and present and just sacrificial in our life of love and our witness, knowing the day is drawing near. Knowing we are in the end times, knowing that all the things that need to have happened have happened and we're here. And so the main question Paul says is, have you received the gift by grace? It's not about what you can do. You can't, you can't get in. He's gotta let you in. He's gotta give you the gift of grace through Jesus Christ. So we're gonna take communion together as a reminder of that. But before that, I, I just wanna ask everybody to, to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you feel like you've been working to earn the grace of God and you've never received the gift of grace, I want you to raise your hand now and I wanna pray with you. I want you to raise your hand now and enter into a prayer with me if you've never received the gift of God's grace. It's a little hard for me to see up here, but I wanna say this, if that's you in this room, just want you to pray with me in this moment. It's gotta be from your own heart, but it needs to go something like this. Lord, thank you. Thank you that there's nothing I can do either to earn your love or to fall out of your favor. Say to him, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me on the cross and covering every sin, every mistake. Say to him, I believe that you died for me and rose from the dead three days later so that I could have eternal life. In your own heart, just say, thank you, Jesus, I love you. If you prayed that prayer today, I, I just wanna ask that you would please fill out a connect card. We'd love to connect with you, get you a Bible, 
get you connected to some other amazing people that can begin to walk this journey with you in this season. And for the rest of us, I, I want us to take a moment to take communion together now where we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us as we end our time together. Let's take communion at this time. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.